A very disturbing thought occurred to me, troubling at least, when Deacon Matt was carrying the gospel over to the Ambo. I am no longer the best dressed in the sanctuary these days. It's very good. But I do got more lace though, so I'll take that. Today we celebrate the solemnity of Christ the King, and I want to focus on two questions. Where does Christ ultimately want to reign in us? Where is his reign meant to be? And what are the consequences if he does not reign in us? And I want to focus especially on that latter question. Because Christ wants to reign in us in the most important aspect of our person, which is our willpower. Nothing more defines who we are in life, who we become, than our choices with our will, than the one who tells us what to do. Ask any wife and she'll tell you that's true. And just as it was through disobedience in the Garden of Eden, right? When we listened to the devil and disobeyed God that led to death and our exile. So it was through the absolute obedience of Christ to his Father, even unto death on the cross, that opened the gates for our redemption. So every single one of our lives stands in between those two polar sides to choose to obey God and be saved, and disobey God in favor of obeying another authority, and thus risk our souls. Not to brag, but at this point in my life, after 15 years of real solid religious education, I think I've basically mastered this virtue. Like Christ has total dominion over my will, everything I do, until I walk into zanies. The moment they put that burger menu in front of me, every time I go there, I always hear Christ like whispering in my ear, like, maybe we should get the sushi, you know, for the souls in purgatory. And Jesus, maybe you should sit at a different table. I understand the whole Jewish kosher food thing, you know, but I'm a Catholic. Therefore, I'm getting the protein burger with extra bacon. All other areas of my life, Christ reigns over me, but Zanies remains unconquered territory. But that's the goal of Christ, absolute reign over our willpower, what we choose to do. I think we've all heard of the Yale's Milgram experiment. They wanted to test how far human beings would go in obedience to authority, even when it contradicted their moral code, their conscience. At what point would a human being say, no, this is too far? So the person being evaluated, person A, was told that person B on the other side of this wall was also just a participant, and they had to receive a shock therapy treatment for every question they got wrong. So they asked them a question. If they got it wrong, they'd give them an electric shock. They didn't realize that the person on the other side was actually you know, also governing the whole experiment, so they weren't actually getting an electric shock. So person A would give them a question. If they got it wrong, the authority figure standing over the person A giving the shock would instruct them to turn up the voltage little by little and give them a heavier dosage. To be honest, I wanted to try this methodology in my catechism classes, but Father Brad would not let me. So each time the, the electric shock though, it, it, it increased. But the real test was all on the subject, person A, to see how far they would go out of obedience to an authority, giving the shocks to person B, even when the shocks were nearly fatal. 
So it got to the point where person B, who was, you know, faking the whole time, he was slamming on the door, on the wall, separating and saying, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. This hurts. I want, I don't want out of this. And even to the point where after they were shocking him, there was dead silence. They were no longer even responding. But when they became hesitant, the authority figure would exhort them to continue out of two motives. For the good of the experiment, the common good, and, and obedience to the given authority. So they were, and they wanted to measure at what point that person would say, this is enough. I'm not going any further. What were the results? 65%, two-thirds of the people, went to the highest level of voltage. They never said no. Two-thirds. And 100% continued till at least 300 voltage shocks. And there were two principal reasons that they were willing to go so far in this experiment. Ideology and authority. If it was for the good of science, for the common good, or if it was the authority figure saying, you must do this, then there was no end to which the distance that they would go to comply. And this is built in into our brains. Like, we cannot survive without obedience. So it's not just a bad thing in itself. The reason we are all able to drive here today is because we are all obeying the common law traffic rules. Right? That's how society flows. It's a question of when that obedience is being pushed too far. At what point do we as human beings need to learn to say no? Because the conclusion of that test, of that experiment, was that ordinary people are likely to follow orders given by an authority figure even to the extent of killing innocent people. Even to the extent of killing innocent people. This test was performed in the 1960s, right after the Nuremberg trials, in light of the individuals who made the Holocaust possible by their participation. So how many of us here, honestly thinking about it, if I had lived in Germany in the 1940s, 1942, when the mass exter extermination of the Jews and the Catholics were going on, how many of us would have refused to participate in that killing? Would have stood back? Statistically speaking, it's less than 5%. That's not a theory. That's a fact of history. It's less than 5%. This last week, I read a very fascinating book I'd recommend to everybody to read in this time. It's called Ordinary Men. It's by Christopher Browning. And he focuses on Reserve Police Battalion 101, which was one of the main battalions who helped carry out the total extermination of the Jews in Poland at that time, right? And the reason he focused on them is there were just one battalion of many, 500 men, and we have the most documented interviews with them and uh, the, their general, the commanders, where they were all interviewed afterwards. And so there's the most documentation just on their group, and that's why they focused on them. But these men were told before the killing began that their job would be to round up the Jews in the ghettos, mainly the young men, and they're going to pack them up in a bunch of trains and ship them off to consecration camps in order to work. Whoever did not fit in those trains should be killed on the spot. Old men 
women and children, because their labor was not valuable, were to be marched into the forest at mass graves and killed on the spot. And what's most disturbing about this book is that the fact that it shows how the captain of this battalion, 500 men, before any of this even started, he gave them the option to walk away. He said, we're going to do some really difficult things right now, gentlemen, and I don't want to force anyone into it. So anyone who does not want to do this can leave right now. Guess how many people walked away? Twelve. Twelve out of 500 men refused to participate in the slaughter of the innocent. That's 2.4%. And the author demonstrates in this book how these men were not war crazed. They weren't infected by all this propaganda of Hitler. They were too old for that. And they weren't bloodthirsty anti-Semites. They were ordinary men who obeyed these such orders for the common good and obedience to authority. And only 12 out of 500 refused to participate. He told one story about a soldier who was walking out of the forest where the killing was taking place. And his captain came up to him, Captain Granada. And he said, how many people did you kill in there? The man looked back at him and said, none. And Captain Granada just shrugged his shoulders and he said, one can't expect otherwise. You're a Catholic after all. And that says so much. Because he was a Catholic, he's saying two things. Any greater good for the welfare of this world that is going to jeopardize the greater good of my salvation, I refuse to participate in. And any obedience, and secondly, my highest authority does not come from my country and it does not come from my government. It comes from my God. Therefore, if anything that is commanded of me contradicts the commandments of my God, I refuse to participate. My answer is no. I will not obey. And so what does this tell us about what it means to be a human being? Because these were acts that were carried out by Nazis. But Nazis were human beings. And we're human beings. So whatever they did, I'm capable of doing. And only 2.4% of these human beings refused to participate in some of the most egregious crimes we've ever seen against other human beings in the name of the greater good and because the authority was telling us to do so. They were just ordinary men being good citizens. Hence the word, if you don't know your history, you are bound to repeat it. Because we are history. History is our story. It's everything that we are capable of becoming as human beings if we don't understand our own capacity for good and for evil within us. In other words, if I don't recognize that, then it will manifest itself in me in times and ways that I never would have imagined. And I don't think one of us would ever imagine participating in something that took place in the Holocaust. And yet less than 5% were willing to say no. That means if I do not know who I am, what I stand for, and where I draw the line, 
There is almost nothing I will not do to get along with my social hierarchy, to just go on with whatever is asked of me. And perhaps that's why Christ said, wide and spacious is the road that leads to damnation, and many are they that are on it. And how straight and narrow the path that leads to salvation, and few are they that find it. He's just elucidating the demonstrable fact of history that the majority of us human beings are more ready to hand over our will to an authority of this world and to the majority good, the common good of this time, rather than obey God and His commandments to belong to the society of heaven. And it makes sense too, right? Because we can see the authority figures here in this earth. We can see them so I can feel my comfort if I'm obeying them. And I can see the common good for the people around me. But I can't see God. And I can't feel my participation so much with the saints in heaven, with the church. And so it's far easier for me to sacrifice that in order to get along here than to be faithful to God and my citizenship in heaven, to allow Christ himself to reign over me. And that's why this question on the Feast of Christ the King is so essential for every one of us, especially in our times. Who rules my will? Who tells me what to believe and what to do? Because if it isn't God, it will be someone else. As Bob Dylan himself said, we all got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but we're all going to serve somebody. And the drama of our salvation in this life depends on who we decide to serve, who we decide to obey. And death came into this world. We were exiled from the garden because we chose to obey the powers of this world rather than God. And redemption was offered to us through Jesus Christ, whose entire mission is encapsulated in those words, I came not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Father, not my will, but your will be done. And that's the battle we face in our life. Who will I serve? Who reigns over my will? Who do I obey in the end? That's why all of life comes down to the first commandment. Everything is summed up in that. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to have no other God before Him. Why love? Because we obey the one we most love in our life. And the great drama of our salvation is to strive with all of our heart, with the help of God, with His grace and the Holy Spirit, to love Him before every other authority on this earth so that we do His will before every other authority on this earth. And that's why Christ went to the cross. He didn't have to go to the cross. He was obedient unto death in order to inspire us with that same love that we might be obedient and totally surrendered to Him no matter what the consequences may be. That He may reign over our will what we believe, what we do, most of all, what we refuse to do. That is in honor of Christ our King.
when he comes upon this altar in one moment. And together we pray the prayer that our Savior taught us. Let us pray that with all of our hearts, in our own lives right now. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I will serve you. You will be my king. Let your will be done in my life. Because I can't control the whole other, the rest of the world. I can't control the 97.6% of the people who are going to participate. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And only we as individuals can make that choice. When we, we receive his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist, and walk back out of this church, may we live our lives in such a way that people will look at us. They will look at what we do. They will look at what we refuse to do and shrug their shoulders and say, well, one can't expect otherwise. You're a Catholic after all. Then you will know that Christ is your King.